Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Mile High Hockey Lab. Mile High Hockey Lab. Hello and welcome to Mile High Hockey Lab, a podcast dedicated to everything Colorado Avalanche. My name is Adrian Hernandez. I am here with Evan, Ezra, and Jackie. We are going to bring a little bit more Avalanche content your way via the milehighhockey.com and SB Nation route. We are incredibly excited. We'll just get right into things and I'll start by asking Jackie, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role at Mile High Hockey and how you became an Avalanche fan. Okay, well, um, my name's Jackie Kay on the blog, and I've been a part of Mile High Hockey since about 2017. Um, I was uh, just around in the community probably for a couple years before that, but I started writing recaps in the 48-point season because there weren't too many people who wanted to recap that season, and then I uh, stuck around and uh, through a couple regime changes, and I'm now uh, part of the editing team at Mile High Hockey, so um, you'll see a lot of me in the articles and the comments. And as far as me as a fan, um, I'm from Denver, so I've always been a Colorado sports fan, um, but I've always loved hockey. And it was something that I really did on my own, like uh, just watch the games. And the 2000s was a tough decade, and I sort of lost the passion a little bit. But when um, McKinnon was drafted, that really reignited my interest in the team. And I've been pretty involved since then, so 2013. And uh, I guess you could say I'm a pretty big fan. That's awesome. I would consider you our resident prospect expert. So that's that's what I'm going to introduce you as in the future. I, so I like that. that. Yeah, I <laughs> I do watch a lot of AHL and uh, juniors when we had prospects and juniors, but we don't anymore. <laughs> so, I hear you. But I, I do like following that part of the organization for sure. Right. And I think it's important that people do follow that part of the organization so let's move on Evan what about yourself why don't you talk a little bit about how you became a part of mile high hockey yeah thanks Adrian appreciate it um I came on I guess almost two years two years ago now to this point um kind of just was like why not give it a shot and you know here we are so um you know, started from the bottom and now we're here, as some people would say. Um, and I'm the new managing editor of the site. Um, so you'll be hearing a lot of, a lot about me and a lot about obviously Adrian and Jackie um, and all of our staff. Um, we're all going to have a, a great time this year. Um, I mean, obviously coming off of a cup win is huge. Um, there's a lot of momentum, you know, already built behind this team. Um you know, prospects or not. So, um, you know, we're all looking forward to this and, you know, it's only on the up and up here at, at uh, mile high hockey. Uh, but about me personally, um, 
you know, I'm a senior at Colorado State University. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the youngin' of the group. Fort Collins, um, distinction required. Okay. I'm a yes. CSU Pueblo <laughs> graduate, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt Correct. you there. Yeah. No, you're, you're good. That, that is a good that is a good correction to, to put in place. Uh, so I'm about an hour north of Denver, uh, but I've been – I'm not a native Coloradan. I was a, I'm a transplant. Uh, I was originally born in California. Um, moved here to, to Colorado when I was a kid. Uh, I think I was eight years old, seven, eight years old when I came here. Um, and, you know, I've been kind of following the abs ever since. Um, I still remember one of my very first games uh, that I ever went to uh, was against the New York Rangers and Matt Duchesne scored two goals and became my favorite player. Nice. Of course that aged well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, it's, it's just kind of built up to where it is today. So you know, happy to be here and happy for Adrian and, and Ezra and everyone putting this all together. Um, and, you know, only just taking my high hockey to bigger and better places. Yeah. And you know what? I'm super excited to be a part of such a, a prolific team. I feel like a member of the avalanche on the top line among you fine <laughs> folks. Uh, we'll move on to Ezra. Ezra, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and why you love the avalanche so much? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm probably probably the newest member of the team, if, if not one of the newest. Um, uh, I joined right before the playoffs last year to to help with playoff coverage. Good timing. I was thrilled to see. Uh, yeah, great timing. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think Thomas at the time was was managing, and he tweeted out that he was looking for writers. I'm like, uh, I watch every game. I should write. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I, I had a little bit of journalism background so it made sense uh and i'm, I'm so glad y'all took a chance on me um and i and i love podcasting too and talking about that so i'm excited to get to do that uh i became a fan in 2001 i was a i was a little kid watching hockey my dad was like steven reinprecht uh, watching hockey in wisconsin i should say uh steven reinprecht's the guy you should watch he got drafted by la i was like i guess i could be a king's fan i don't really <laughs> want i guess nobody likes la sports in the midwest but then he got traded to colorado and uh and everybody knows they won the cup in 2001. How was I going to, how was I going to leave a team with Ray Bork lifting the cup over his head? You know, yeah, I became yeah. a huge fan. Have been ever since those two thousands were, were rough, but here we are. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of, yeah, exactly. Jackie. I think that's funny too. I think that's why avalanche fandom is so strong and the community is so united is that we've all truly from generation to generation gone through avalanche fandom the same way so it's not like timing wise it was any different you know my my dad and i have the same experiences of watching the avalanche despite our 30 some year age difference um and to speak a little bit on you know evan being a transplant at least you're the good kind of transplant you're from california you're not from somewhere else we'll just put it that Whoa. way <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding so thank you guys so much um to so just to round out that segment my name's adrian hernandez and this is mile high hockey we are going to talk everything avalanche all avs all the time and my story story is very similar to you you folks um like ezra said i watched every game figured i might as well write and talk about it and join the community so here we are so let's drop the puck let's do this thing we're gonna get into the first thing which is a preseason review 
I just wanted to talk about who you guys think might have stood out and why that might be. And Jackie, we'll start with you since you're the prospect expert. I sort of have two answers for this. One of the veterans, I really liked what Lekkonen did. Uh, He stood out to me the first day of main camp. And it's kind of interesting because he's not really like a flashy player. But I just think um, like everything was just working for him. Like he was just so noticeable in the plays he was making and the energy he brought. And then it translated in the games when he got the two goals and the preseason games and everything. And I'd say an underrated standout for the prospects was actually Alex Bocage. And I know he was an early cut and not really expected to stick around that long, but, um, you know, I think he's a little bit underrated. He's, he's not talked about as much as some other third rounders like foodie and sample Ranta, but, um, I think he's showing a a more well, well well-rounded game. He has a really good shot and, uh, I think he scored two goals in the preseason and he was the only goal scorer in that really bad game in Vegas. And I think he was actually the best player in that game. And not just because of the goal, it was like one of those situations where the right person got rewarded with the one goal. And so I'm really hoping he has a good second year with the Eagles. So those are my two standouts, probably a little bit more under the radar, but those two caught my eye. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest standouts for me was seeing how much, um, Oscar Olafson had developed, you know, I think he was, I mean, obviously he was never going to make the team, uh, you know, another early cut, um, you know, he still needs another year in, in, in Loveland with the Eagles, but I think he looked really good. Um, I was impressed with what he did. Um, you know, I kind of, I almost kind of wish he could have stayed, you know, an extra like game or two, but, you know, I just don't think that I'll would have been possible you know if you're looking to get you know some of your regulars your time towards the end of the towards the end of the preseason um but I really liked how I really liked how he looked um I also I mean the the big kind of talking point was Martin Kaut um you know that he was a standout um I would agree to that in in some sense um you know he got he got a couple of key goals here and there but I mean still the the penalties that were being taken are still you know the the issues and um, a good kind of comparison that could be made was uh, was has been or that can be made is to a young Gabriel Landeskog. Um, you know, to the amount of penalties that, that he's taking is not not going to help the team. You know, much at all to be quite honest. Um, but then again, you know, Cout has come out before preseason started. You know, during training camp, he goes, you know, this is probably my last chance to try and be a part of the Avalanche. Um, and I mean, he's been in this organization now for what, four years, something like that. So, um, you know, if he's really going to have a shot to make the, the opening night roster, I mean, this is it with the amount of injuries that, you know, are, are occurring right now in the forward lines. Um, this is his chance, you know, if he makes it and then it's, you know, how, how are you able to stay in the team? How, how are you able to prove to Jared Bednar, you know, this is my spot on the roster. This is how I'm working to keep it you know, but it's a big, big ask. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting too, when you look at the two situations going back to when Jackie was talking about Bakaj and Cal and how quickly it goes from being in Bakaj's seat where 
He kind of still has his future in front of him, has everything in terms of proving himself to the franchise in front of him, whereas Cal is sort of at the end of his rope, despite pretty much being the the general age of most guys who break into the league. He's at the end of his rope here, and I know we talked a little bit yesterday about, you know, he's the type of guy who would likely be valuable for another franchise. Um, Ezra, I wonder, do you agree? Do you think that Cal has stood out? And do you think even if he maybe doesn't have a long-term role, he could maybe be trade bait or someone that sneaks into the roster longer than we anticipate? Yeah, you know, I think he's the guy, the kind of guy who's got a great bottom six game with the potential to develop into something bigger, which I think is the kind of guy who has a lot of value. Um, uh, I I don't know that he has trade value though right now because he's a guy who, if the Avalanche want to move him down to the minors, he's going to go through waivers, right. and people are probably people around the league are probably looking at that as a potential claim that they want to make because he has that potential. Um, but if he can't crack the avalanche lineup, then, you know, <laughs> is he really, uh, uh, is he really destined to stay in Colorado very long? I don't think so, unfortunately, but I do think that this is the year that he, he has some staying power in the bottom six. I, I look at uh, Nicholas Abacubel last year as a guy who like came in and was taking stupid penalties they're a different kind of penalty than count takes for sure but a guy who's like job is on the line if he can't stop taking penalties and and bednar and the coaching staff work with them and made it so that he could finally figure that out and hopefully count is able to do that too right yeah you're totally right about abe kubel he was kind of the guy who would get the penalty breaking out in their own end with possession and you would just put your head (laughs) in your hands and go dear lord what in the world were you thinking yeah so i would think that go ahead yeah go go ahead I was just going to say, to Cal's credit, the penalties he took were early. Like, mm-hmm. he's played in the last three games. He didn't take any penalties. And the third one was that really bad call was the boarding call, and it was just right. finishing a check. And Bednar was even like, that's not even a penalty. Right. Like, <laughs> So he's not taking that into account. Um, in the AHL, he's not really uh, – I mean, it, it's the AHL, so penalties happen a lot more, but I wouldn't right. say he's, like, habitual at it. So I, I'm not super worried about him if he makes the team that he's going to be somebody that, that's taking a lot of penalties. Um, I And I want to go back to something you said, Adrian, about how time is really short to make it, and I think that's uh, a perspective that isn't echoed enough, right. is that you look at these young guys and you think, Oh, they have several years. And before you know it, their ELCs up their waiver exemptions up after three years. So for me, I always say like second year pro is the most important because you really got to be making a move. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to make the team and stay permanently then, but you really need games and you really need to set yourself up to like make the team in that third year. So, um, and Cal came over and he was 18 years old and this is going to be his fifth year. Right. And I think, part of that is why it seems like he's been around forever because he has (laughs) and it was almost a little bit I think to his detriment that he was so young and came over because then it looks like he's just had all these chances right you you forget he's only 23 years old (laughs) yeah and as an 18 19 year old he wasn't like 
uh, an 18, 19 year old who didn't like come from <laughs> a, a culture that spoke English, a culture that like had the experience, the, 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 like, uh, 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 uh what, what I'm trying to say, <laughs> cause that didn't make sense. What I'm trying to say is he had a huge, uh, acclimation period to right, just being absolutely. in North America, not playing hockey. And, you know, it's, that's, I, I can't speak to that from personal experience, but it sounds rough. It does. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, twenty-three-year-old kid who's got his game together. Hopefully, hopefully, this is the year. And I think, honestly, I think that it is. And if you think about these kids who are kind of on the bubble players, and you look and you see around the league players like Zegris and others, kind of taking lumps in the preseason and then the after that the conversation turns to how necessary is the preseason so for a guy like Cal he's going to argue I need every single game to prove and put on tape that I'm uh, I can be on the big club but someone you know like Zegris or guys like McKinnon who played a game I believe I'm not sure I think it was one game um, why would he want this many preseason games do you and we'll start with you, Evan. Do you think that the preseason should be shortened, or do you think it's good where it's at? Uh, I think preseason-wise, at least for the hours, because they've they've now done this for a while, where they've had six games, um, and I don't think that's a terrible number. Um, but I still feel like it's a little bit much. I feel like if it was four or five, it would be perfect. Um, you know, like, I feel like that gives you enough time to know, okay who's going to get cut and who's actually competing to make, you know, the first team. Right. I mean, most of the cuts that have been made up to this point were cuts that were expected, um, you know, cuts that, you know, Oh yeah. Players too young. He still needs time in, in Loveland with the Eagles, you know, he's just going to stay for a game or two and that's it. Um, versus, you know, you still need time to warm up your regulars. Right. And so McKinnon only played one game, you know, this past Wednesday against Dallas but in that one game, he got slashed God knows how many amount of times, right? right? And, you know, I mean, his, you, I mean, you saw him on the bench too. Like, you know, he had ice on his hands already, and it's not even regular season yet, right? So, um, you know, I mean, you want to protect your players, obviously. So, hence why McKinnon only played one game. And right. in that one game, he already got beat up anyway. So, you know, I feel like, I just feel like four to five is like the right number to say, you know, to know what you're going to do. Right. And I think like the time frame is fine. I'm not suggesting like we skip over, you know, camp and preseason in terms of the time frame, but I think, yeah, in terms of games and opportunities for some of these guys and while, while these contracts get more and more expensive to get hurt, I just don't see risk to reward how that makes any sense at all. Ezra, what do you think? Do you think that the, league needs to restructure this time period i do i don't don't really see i I mean preseason can be valuable for players trying to make the team but at the same time like the same guys who we thought going into preseason were going to be competing for roster spots are the guys competing for the roster spots so really i mean maybe there's like a, a a middle ground where like the first five games of the season are waiver exempt so you can get some other guys into the bottom six and see what happens and 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 play uh, the first pu- couple games of the season as essentially a preseason where you're ramping up, but the games actually count, so you're trying to win, and and the rules are enforced correctly right. and, and not uh, letting people slash. And 
I don't know. There's, there's, there's a version of a preseason in, that could work in my mind, but I don't think that they're using their time wisely, putting guys at risk in games that don't matter. Right. And then Jackie, from a prospect perspective, do you think that they would benefit from being excused sooner from NHL camps and getting into AHL camps and, and having more of a cohesive element there? Or do you think it's more important to give them a look and experience with the big club? I lean a little bit more towards the latter. Uh, it's just such a big opportunity for prospects to be able to uh, be in an NHL environment, uh, play with other NHL players. And like, the Avs don't really do a lot of call-ups, especially for prospects. So this is like the really their only chance that they uh, really get in front of the decision makers. So um, like Evan said, the abs tend to go more on the shorter end of preseason. I believe six is the minimum and they always do six. And this season has been a little weird with the split squad game. And then now that they have a full week off between their last preseason game and the regular season. So they're almost trying to cut it shorter and I'm okay with six because like I said, I, I do think the guys need, need those looks now. I don't think Nathan McKinnon needs to play six, certainly. Right. But um, like we even saw, he was rusty. Miko was really rusty. And I just, I know I hate the injury risk as well, but it's like game one is an injury risk. So does it really matter if True. you save them in the preseason and then they just get hurt in October? Right. So it's. That's a good point. I just, and, and a I lot of people it, make the argument about, you know, you need to like callous your body in order to be prepared yeah get ready so for yeah for the yeah. checking and everything so i'm okay with it how it is okay. and i'll be interested to see how the abs approached it this year a little bit differently if that helps them get off to a better start because they didn't really have a good start last year right and you got to think they probably considered the timing of everything with the cup run taking them well beyond a typical season they probably really sat down and thought exactly about how they were going to approach camp so i think in that regard the avalanche in particular are in good hands really no matter how the league changes so that's always good um so with that you know we talk about these young guys and their opportunity to be seen we sent out our poll of the week and i just kind of wanted to get a beat on what fans were feeling um, in terms of who they preferred to see make the big roster of the guys whom were on the bubble. So I put forward three gentlemen. I put forward Mark Kaut, Ben Myers, and Jacob McDonald. Um, I think more than likely a couple of them will probably make it, if not all of them, due to injuries. But if you were to be forced to pick one, who would it be? The fans went with Martin Kaut with 50% of the vote, so he won pretty handedly. Uh, Ezra, what do you think about that? Why do you... how would you explain that such a heavy handed victory for Cal? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a lot of like, he's been hyped for five years. We've been waiting for him for five years. So people want to see him in the lineup after, you know, five years. Uh, and I think that there's a, a general like uh, uh, momentum for in among the fan base to get young players involved and, and specifically the guys who were drafted by the avalanche to be avalanche, right. you know? Um, Ben Myers is a young player who there's momentum for as well. And that's why he comes in second. 
And then I, I'm not surprised to see Jacob McDonald, the guy who's proven himself to be capable at the NHL level, still coming in uh, behind those guys because, you know, he is he is an AHL veteran more than he is an NHL prospect. Right, right. And Evan, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed in the preseason is that people were really big on Benton Myers going into it. And I think most fans had an idea of where he would slot into the opening night roster before camp even started based on how he played towards the end of last season. But, you know, as you see, he only got 35% of the vote in our poll. Would you say that, you know, this poll says more about how Ben Myers has underperformed or how Martin Cout has overperformed? I think it's both. Um, Myers, I mean, definitely struggled you know, at the beginning of preseason, but this last game against the Stars, I mean, even Bednar pointed it out post game that, you know, he stood out and that he did. I think he got an assist, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, if if coach is talking about you, then that then you're doing something right. Uh, and if you're being praised, you know, then you have a good shot of of making the team. And you know, we saw that with another forward who's not on this poll that I'm sure we're probably going to talk about too. Um, but I think it's just a little bit of both um, in my opinion. And, you know, I think probably both Cout and Myers will make the team at this point right. just because of injuries at forward. But, um, you know, there's still arguably a third one that will go to a certain somebody. And Jackie, I don't know if you agree with Evan there, if you think that it's kind of both Cout being good and Myers not being as good as we thought. But if that is the case, if that is what you think, which play style between Ben and Cout do you think has more of a, a longevity to it in the league? Oh, that's tough because uh, I've always really liked Cout's game. So uh, I, I think he's something that the Avs could use. Like he can play that fourth line role where he's forechecking. He's really good defensively. And then if he's playing with skilled players, he can add a little offense like we saw when he was playing with Newhook and, and they both created the two goals. Um, Myers is a little bit more of like an opportunist. He's good around like the front of the net and he was really able to play that game in that last one against Dallas. And I agree with Evan, like that was his best showing. Um, and I think it was also because he was playing center. He was on the third line. Like it gave him a little bit more opportunity to show like exactly what his role could be. And he was in, in the perfect spot for that. Um, I probably would have voted Cow in the poll. I just think like he showed what he needed to. If uh, if they wanted to see good defensive play, he did that. They wanted to see offense, he did that. And it, there's no need for him to be in the AHL anymore. So I think if you invested a 16th overall pick, four years of development in a guy, and he's proved what you want to see, then I, I think he should be an NHL yeah, player. Myers is more of an interesting case because, you know, they had just signed him. He is a little bit older and I think they were looking for him to be in the, uh, in the lineup. And what I didn't like so much about his preseason was in the defensive zone. And I think it still could buy him a little bit of time in the AHL, kind of what they did with new hook to begin the season last year. Uh, so I too would like to see both of them stay, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Yeah. And I think I'd agree with you in terms of Cal and his play style. And I prefer the way he plays. Um, and I think that if you just look at the overall roster and what this roster will need, like later on in the season, it is going to be one of those bottom six 
uh, heavier kind of bodied guys who's willing to skate and put in the work. And I think Cal fits that profile a little bit better than Myers does right now. I think if you look at Myers, we have two or three players that are very similar to his play style that are better than him already on the roster, especially when you think of opportunistic. I mean, we have JT Comfer, the probably the most opportunistic hockey player in the world right now. So <laughs> I think that, yeah, um, I'd agree with you on that, Jackie, that I think Cout uh, would have gotten my vote as well. Um, and then more, more so on that, when we talk about play styles, a lot of people have an opinion of Curtis McDermott, good or bad, and whether or not he should be on the roster. And a lot of people think that McDonald will definitely take his spot, even in the event that that injuries don't make way for it. Do you guys think McDermott has a role in the NHL this season with the Avalanche, or do you think he'll spend more time in the A than he did last year? Oh, I think he's on the NHL roster. I, I'm personally not... Uh... I would love to see fighting not be in the game. That that's that's my take on okay. fighting generally. But I think the way they used him last year is exactly the way they'll use him this year, where he's in certain games because they know that there's going to be a fight in that game, right. or they think that there might be some some kind of play, player that needs to be like, you know, marshaled away from McKinnon or whatever. Um, and he's going to play some games, uh, and he'll fill in where he fills in because he's the guy who's on the roster. But they'd love to have somebody more skilled play over him. I'm sure. Right. Exactly. I think when yeah. you look, when we went to the playoffs, we saw exactly where McDermott exactly. fits into the roster in terms of a priority. And Jackie, I think you've probably seen in terms of watching a lot of AHL hockey, a lot more of the fighting side of hockey. Um, and if you'd like to maybe expound on what Ezra thinks on fighting, what do you think of that? I do think that McDermott would probably fit better in the AHL. Um, I personally am not a fan of him on the roster and I'm really not against fighting. It's not so much that it's the idea of an enforcer because he doesn't have to, he doesn't make people fight like regular roster players can just decline and go back to the bench. (laughs) Exactly. Enforcers just fight other enforcers and then it just becomes a sideshow. Exactly. yeah. There and Bednar doesn't believe in retribution. Like he's always said, you know, we're focusing on the next shift, the next game. Mm-hmm. So I really just don't even think he re- he fits into the culture of how the apps play. And and for that reason, especially when we're talking about like cutting Cowd or Myers, they should try to keep as much useful skill around as possible, and not devote a million dollars in a roster spot to McDermott and. I know one thing they like is that they can insert him as a forward and then they don't have to carry any extra forwards. Mm-hmm. And the, and the interesting thing is McDonald could do that, but he's not the enforcer that becomes a forward. He's, he's more of like a defenseman that has enough skill to play on that fourth line. So it was interesting that he stuck around this long and then got injured. So maybe we won't really see what their vision for that is, but I agree with Ezra. I don't think they're going to, cut McDermott I think um they like having him around and and like having a a guy like him I don't really understand it 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 doesn't fit with any of the other decisions that they've made but I I don't expect anything to change yeah I think it's kind of a a holdover from the the glory days of 
enforcers actually having a role in the outcome of the game. So with that, we were talking about good guys. We have a good guy joining us right now, <laughs> Dave Melton right. from Second Are City sure? Hockey. Yeah, I hope so anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Dave, thank you so much for joining the Mile High Hockey Lab and podcast. It's a pleasure to have you as our first guest. Um, as I've already said, you cover the Chicago Blackhawks for SB Nation and Second City Hockey. How are you doing, Dave? Uh, doing well, guys. Thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate the charity extension of uh, uh, bringing on the uh, bottom feeders of the Central Division for some <laughs> hockey. <talk. laughs> well, that's that's putting it bluntly. I'll I'll say that for sure. So I'll start. <laughs> yeah, I'll start. Uh, There's in, still Arizona. Hold yeah. on. Yeah, I was gonna say you might have a little competition. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk to an Arizona guy it's, next week. Yeah, it's gonna be close. a it's gonna be a painfully close competition. Right. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So you've been a fan of the Blackhawks, I assume, and I imagine you were a fan during their Stanley Cup victories we're about to experience a banner night ourselves here in a few short nights. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with the Blackhawks and their banner nights and maybe some what we might be looking forward to? Uh, it's very much a, I, I guess the word I always come back to, it's, it's just neat. It's, yeah. a, it's a very neat thing. It's just like, it's, <laughs> it's, you just have like these like 20 to 30 minute ceremony, however long it lasts. You just have this entire nostalgia trip and and like you're seeing this like this physical manifestation of everything you got to experience for the last year and and going back to the you know the decade before as they were assembling this team so it's it's a lot of fun I enjoy it but like there's also for me like when you get to the end and like the banner goes up then it's like the finality of the moment that like oh it's all over now right it's it's like Christmas night you're like you've opened all the presents you ate all the food and now there's just now now it's over now we gotta wait to, to maybe get to do it again next year. right let the suffering begin <laughs> once again so yes, and, yes. I, and i think jackie had a question about one of the former avs that is now a blackhawk that was one of the more beloved um avalanche members go ahead jackie yeah we love our old friends uh okay in avalanche fandom so i think you know where i'm going with this jack johnson mm -hmm. uh he and we know that he scored against the blackhawks in the opening <laughs> uh game last year that's right uh, hopefully we don't see a repeat of that but um <laughs> i was just curious uh how has he looked in your camp and what kind of role are they penciling him in for he's been fine like I don't think he's been particularly good or bad like I remember the night the Hawks announced that they were signing him or that the, the new report came out there was a lot of derision on the internet about Jack Johnson because he's probably not the best 
defenseman anymore and and what how good he was at any point in his career is up for debate but um like for what they're going to ask him to probably be the seventh defenseman now they've had some injuries uh Connor Murphy's missed a bunch of preseason games he's supposed to be healthy uh Jake McCabe had cervical spine surgery like a month ago but apparently seems to be coming back quicker than expected so Jack Johnson might play like the play on the third pairing the first handful of games it seems like the long-term plan for him for the entire season is to be kind of the swing seventh defenseman get him in every now and then and fill in if there's an injury so he'll he'll play a decent amount uh, or like get a decent amount of games probably like the low teens every night uh won't probably won't be asked to do too much and he gets you know i think it's just a million dollars to kind of right out of glory, uh, the glory years at the end of his career, now that he's a Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, I almost look at the contract he got from Chicago as like uh, the whole league saying, all right, bro, well, here you go. You deserve at least your payday for one more year, <laughs> and we'll get you in at that seventh defense spot again, and mm-hmm. you see how you feel next year. I, I imagine this will be the last year of his career. And branching, yeah, it's a borderline NHL retirement home. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So, what time's the nurse coming in, Jack? Just kidding, just kidding. So, Ezra, I think you two had a little bit of the of a question about the yeah, fans and the temperature of, question, of the yeah. room based on some of the moves that have been made in the off season. Yeah, I mean, I I know uh, uh, now that now that like camp is underway and and the, everybody's kind of settled into the idea of this Blackhawks team truly rebuilding. Mm-hmm. How are you and the, the team and the fans feeling about the Doc and Debrinket trades? Well, uh, the initial reaction to the Alex Debrinket trade was a never, just every F-bomb and every version of the yeah. one. Just, yeah. it's just pure rage. Because I think everybody knew that, or we had a good inclination the trade was coming because there was two or three weeks where every insider was saying, listing teams, listing things. It was a matter of if and not when, or when and not if. Um, right. So the Debrinket one, like everyone was prepared for it, but just the return of it felt so underwhelming, which seems like it happens every single time a young star forward or just young star player is traded in general, that the return mm-hmm. never matches and, and the fan base is furious. Except um, for one, I can remember pretty <laughs> clearly. Yeah. Are, are you going to say Duchesne or Ryan? Or I Ryan? am, I am. Okay. Yeah. Cause that, that's, that's what trade I was thinking back to is that like maybe in the long term, if the Hawks if those picks turn out to be very good and the, the yep, number seven right. pick they got for Debrinket, uh Kevin Korchinski was the number seven pick and he's had some moments in preseason, but he's only 18. So years yeah, away. I was going to follow up about him too. Are our fans excited about him? Uh, I, I certainly am. And I think there's yeah. a, I think as far as just prospects of the last like five years, the little, the handful of plays he made in his limited preseason time is probably more than any prospect has popped off the screen in like since Alex to bring it, honestly. Um, wow, that's, that's how, that's how that's barren it's been for a long time. Um, <laughs> well, that's and, true too. <laughs> and that leads into Kirby doc because um, when there was, there were growing sentiments that Kirby doc was going to be a bust in Chicago. Um, I couldn't put a good percentage on it for you, but there were people firmly entrenched in both camps of uh, he's going to be a bust. He is a bust or give him time. Maybe he'll figure it out. He had yeah. certainly underwhelmed, the first three years had some unfortunate circumstances with the broken wrist in the uh, world juniors pre-tournament game. So mm-hmm. the fact that they turned him into multiple picks, including the first rounder, I personally was overjoyed because I didn't think impressive. they were going to get anywhere near that much. Yeah. I didn't think they were going to get that for doc at all. 
Um, the fact that they did was encouraging. And uh, now he's Montreal's problem. And that's now an argument I don't have to have anymore, which I'm fine with. Yeah, poor guy <laughs> got yeah. posterized yeah, hope, by Hopefully he figures it out, but uh, yeah. yeah. I'm, Montreal's not the nicest place if he doesn't figure it out. So That's for sure. Yeah, yeah the doc uh, parallel with Byram was always very interesting because... Yeah, you know, I didn't <laughs> want to... <laughs> I'm still... That's what I'm still more excited about because it seemed like Bowen Byram was the guy that they wanted, but then the Hawks front office, just Stan Bowman specifically just decided we're drafting Kirby Doc, and that's what they did. But the funny thing is a lot of Avs fans wanted Doc. That is and true. so Oh, oh, did when, they? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. And when he played at 18 and Byram didn't, they were like, oh, oh we yeah. can't. See? I mean, yeah. Exactly. And so it's kind of interesting how that's flipped now. <laughs> well, and there's a pretty, a pretty solid argument to be made now that the Hawks rushed him. And the motivation behind why they rushed him is um, like there are some people convinced that they just rushed him to the NHL because it would sell some tickets because they were floundering in a pretty bad way at that point. Um, that's I, I couldn't tell you if that's true one way or another, but that's a theory some people come up with. Uh, it's just it was an overall everything that could have went wrong. It seemed like it did. And like I said, it's it's over now and it's Montreal's problem. And I've heard he's not doing well in Montreal, but you know, it's preseason and all that. So we'll see. Yeah. And you know, yeah. that's kind of what I feel like the, the downfall, if there is any of winning a Stanley cup or a couple of Stanley cups is that you get comfortable. It's kind of like mm -hmm. the third and fourth year of marriage. You know, you really, <laughs> you really settle into a flow, yeah. not realizing that maybe that second pack of chocolate glazed donuts was not a good call. You know, so when you get those long contracts like the Blackhawks just had and, and, and are in the mm -hmm. process of buying out, it's important, I think, for the Avalanche to take note of just how quickly things go from 100 to zero. And it's actually faster than things go from zero to 100, especially in a league like the NHL. Evan, do you have any question for Dave? Uh, you never sent me one, so I think you might get fired today. <laughs> Sorry, no. <I'm> just... <laughs> uh, it's all right. The the college life. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, well, if, I think if we're asking questions, um, I mean, obviously, Chicago comes to Colorado for the second opening night in a row. You know, in five days' mm -hmm. time at, at the time of recording this, so. You know, are, are you just look? Is Chicago just looking to play spoiler or? just get the hell out of Colorado as soon as possible. Uh, probably the latter. And that <laughs> will apply to every single game this year. Like there's no, there's nothing. You could make a decent argument that the lineup that is going to take the ice for the Hawks the first night will not matter in two years. Not a single play. <laughs> every single one of them is not here for the long term. even Taves and Kane. Uh, and based off injuries with defensemen, we'll see how that goes. Um, but I mean, the only thing really to watch for is trade value. So maybe Max Domi scores a hat trick so that he can get foot for a first rounder right. next March. That's <laughs> that's about all we got is uh is trade value. But I will say I think I I feel like the Hawks lost maybe every banner raising night because there's so much um, oh, yeah. uh, drama and emotion and all the stuff going on that you forget there's a hockey game exactly. being played. So so well, that, I think maybe the Hawks pull the upset. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Yep. I really mm -hmm. do that. Um, the the team can get a little bit caught up in things and uh absolutely and chicago's going to be just such an underdog going into this game that 
you know, weird stuff happens in hockey. And yep, that's why they play the Jack game. Johnson that's why they play. hat trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't okay, put on. it I, past him. I, I do want to ask, though, because because you, you brought up Patrick Kane. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's yeah. obviously a whole debacle with him, too. And, you know, wanting to get out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there have been talks of, you know, could he get traded before the season begins? I mean, at this point, it doesn't seem likely, does it? No, uh, there, there's been uh, the GM Kyle Davidson has come out and, and said, at, I think right at the start of training camp said, we've had no talks. Like all, there was a lot of r- rumors. I don't even know if rumors is the right word for it. Cause like there was uh, Elliot Friedman at some point in the summer said like, people have called the Hawks, which I sure happens every summer. Everyone calls right. about everybody. I'm sure someone's called uh, Colorado about trading for uh, Nathan McKinnon. I wouldn't but doubt it. doesn't it. mean they don't hang up immediately. Yeah. Um, so there is a, a patch like the they're not going anywhere at the start of the season um, like the plan early on seemed to be that Taves and Kane will be in Chicago to start and we'll see where it goes from there um, the, the trickier part is what happens as the season goes on yeah. and um, the team apparently is, it's it's not going to be a good season we'll see how much they hate the fact that they're not going to be winning um, it's just it's, it's going to be an interesting thing like Jonathan Taves is a, is a whole other thing because he his play has dropped off so much that it's nowhere near a ten million dollar cap hit these yeah. days. Patrick Kane still uh, may not quite be in his he may not be in his prime anymore, but he's still a top line player on just about any NHL team in the league. So uh, the, just a question that Evan you mentioned earlier is whether or not he wants to leave, and that's still unclear because there's ta- he, there's several of the beat reporters have said that like Kane enjoys being in Chicago. He's got a kid here now. He's had his entire professional career here and he wants to have his name all over the Blackhawks record books at the top of every category. And if he's going to do that, he's probably about three or four seasons away from catching some of the Stan McKeon and Bobby Hall numbers. Right. It's not impossible, but uh, he's going to need multiple seasons to do it. It's just a matter of whether or not uh, they make it all work. And it's just it's going to be something we watch for five months because we have no idea what's what it's going to look like right now. Right. I guess my question for you uh, to follow up on that is, do you want to see both uh, Kane and Taze go f- for a good return, maybe some prospects, or does it matter to you to see them uh, finish their careers in Chicago and at the top of those record books, like you mentioned? I'm, I'm more indifferent on where it ends up. Like I've seen so many athletes like i just watched duncan keith play a season in edmonton i I'm, I'm i'm you go to any other sport like michael jordan played on the washington wizards for a while every sport like the idea of an athlete playing their entire career in one city just doesn't happen anymore in right. sports if it does it'd be great like i taves and kane have been around forever it feels like um i'd be happy to watch them for another five years it's for me it's just more um like Concert community, I just want it to handle properly, right. however it works out. Just like have don't have Kane get traded and then the next day be like, oh, I wanted to stay, but they ran me out of town. Like there needs to be open dialogue between the GM and the players the whole way and let them handle it professionally and respectfully. And if if it works out, great. If not, like if it works out that they stay around, great. Um, if they end up going somewhere else and getting a return, great. Like Taves is obviously on the as we said earlier, he's uh, significantly declined, uh, partially because he missed an entire season. You could, if you really like, if the Hawks figured this out really quickly, you could see like in four or five years, Patrick Kane still being like a second line guy 
playing with Connor Bedard or something and <laughs> still being a reliable contributor on this team. It wouldn't be surprising. So um, like, yeah, I could, I could see a future with Patrick Kane in Chicago down the road. It's just, it's really hard to see one with Jonathan Kane so, because his plays dropped off so much. And I'd agree with that. And just to branch off a little bit on, you throwing that Connor Bedard word in real quick, all sly like. Do you think oh, we got to have something? Yeah, to exactly. Do you think that? Um, I think the Blackhawks are probably hoping that Taves and Kane come out of the gates flying, and that the Blackhawks come out winning early to maybe bump up their stock and in terms of trade value, because I think at the end of the day, the Blackhawks definitely want to be among the lottery winners. And oh, and have that Bedard option, and if they're winning, that is going to quickly change. And I don't think that any form of winning now is something that the Blackhawks can sustain into the future. So I think from the top down, you would see moves made to get worse, to actually get mm. worse. <laughs> Do you think that that's a thing? Do you think that the Blackhawks will make moves to tank, I guess, so to speak, in order I to mean, get bigger chances. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's correct. They're starting. They're starting Peter Verizon. I mean, the 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 whole point of this season, from like the team will has never said it out loud, but if you just watch everything they're doing, the whole point of this season is to be as bad as humanly possible, <laughs> not ruin any prospects, and get Connor Bedard in next year's draft right. or Fantilli or uh, the other player, the Russian player's name. That, there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, to get one of those three guys in next year's draft. That's obviously the plan. They can't say that out loud, but that's clear what they're doing. Like um, as far as like, like during the season, like the main, like we're going to have a trade meter at our website, a, a trade value meter for most games, because that's, <laughs> that's all it's about. It's about if you can trade Connor Murphy or Jake McCabe or Max Domi or Andres happen to see you. And I just figured out how to say that name. I'm very proud go. of myself. Um, <laughs> and then maybe, maybe okay. Taves and Kane or someone else too. Like, that the entire point of the season is to get to March with like, if you look at the roster they have now, it's not good. And so they don't need to get much worse to be in near the bottom of the league. Right. And they're going to get to the trade deadline, and probably dump. trade away whatever parts they have. And then write out the rest of the season with prospects or whoever's left. Yeah. You're going to hear. And the former Blackhawk more in the playoffs than probably any other team, I think. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate having you. You're an excellent guest. We're definitely going to get you back on the broadcast. We really appreciate your time. That's Dave of Second City Hockey, SB Nation, Chicago Blackhawks. We appreciate you, brother. Thanks, guys. Have a good a one. Pleasure. Enjoy thank the you. season. Thank you. You too. As I best won't. you can. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So that's Dave Melton, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on. And I do not miss Dave's perspective. You know, we were there as Avs fans probably five years ago in a very similar spot with Matt Duchesne on our hands celebrating thirtieth goals when the Avs are celebrating hardly thirty wins. So <laughs> Um, I think, you know, it's kind of not to beat up on a dead horse, but it's kind of nice to, to have that perspective and see just how far the avalanche have come as a franchise. This would be a lot less fun if we were talking about the avalanche trying to get worse week after week to land Connor Bedard. So I think with that, I'm excited that 
this season for the avalanche is going to be the whole storyline is going to be about repeating and whether or not that's a possibility and i think the biggest question in terms of whether or not that is a possibility is how are the avalanche going to make up for the void that was left behind by Nazem Kadri in that second center role. So for the final installment of our very first episode, I just want to go around the table starting with Jackie and just get a beat on who or what player or what players we might expect to fill the void that is the production that Nazem Kadri has left behind. I think the obvious one is Newhook, who probably will start with the role as 2C. Um, and we'll see how that goes. I, I've liked him in camp and in preseason, but how he does in the regular season is probably going to determine how long he, he sticks in that role. Uh, I've liked Evan Rodriguez, too, the the other newcomer on the team. And um, I think he can fill some of that production. Um, if, if he's in line for that two C, I don't know. I, and then there's always could be Miko or Comfer, but we're already expecting their production. So as far as like who is going to step up and produce more, I think you definitely got to look at Lekkonen and Nichushkin because, um, they, they're going to be permanent top six players. Now they both have new contracts that it's on them to really show up and, and they're going to have to score probably at least 40, 50 minimum, hopefully 60 points to really uh, settle into permanent second line players or top six anyway. Yeah. And I think you're onto something there. Billy Bean of the Oakland A's would say you got to make up for production in the aggregate when you don't have the cap space to go acquire somebody to directly make up for that production so just to bounce off of Jackie and go over to you Evan how important do you think it is for Valerian Nechushkin and Arturi Lekanin to step up their game in terms of production I think we all know that they're great players and they're gonna play very well but I think where the Avalanche will need them to show up is on the score sheet probably more than they have ever in their careers so what can you say about that? Uh, you're you're exactly right. You hit it, nail nail on, nailed the head. Um, that's not how you say that, but you get what <laughs> I mean. Um, they and, and that's why they were signed. That's why they were signed to multi-year extensions and got, you know, paid. You know that that's the point, right? So, you know, I think that they are definitely going to improve. Um, they're definitely going to get on the score sheet a whole lot more. I mean, if we see a scarier Nachushkin than we did last year, then oh boy, look out. right? And and same with like a full season, a full season with Arturi Lekkinen, you know, on either side, whether it's first or second line is also going to be huge. You know, that's, it's going to be remarkable, you know, and it's just going to, it's something to look forward to. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have anything else. To yeah. And I think that. you're onto something though, when you say like their second line time, because now with no Andre Burakovsky and with no Nazem Kadri, they're not going to have a choice but to be in that top six night after night. And I think where you really started to see Nachushkin thrive was in a top six role. Six role, And I think the same is true about Lekkonen. Ezra, do you think that the two of them will benefit more from being in the top six? Or do you think that 
someone like Lekkonen is destined to be a third liner just in the fact that he's a pesky four checker. No, I think he's a perfect fit on that top line with McKinnon and Rantanen. Obviously, long-term, we love Landis Gog up there, but they play such similar games that I think he's just going to slot in, do a great job. Make not, not He won't be as productive as, as Landis Gog is. He's not you know, uh, going to be a perennial 30-goal scorer, but 60 points, I, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. 50 points, 60 points, yeah, absolutely. And then for Nachushkin, if he takes that top spot, same right he we've seen what he can do up there and i'm excited to see what he continues to do up there uh if he if he is the one who who gets that top job i i i think that because of uh new hooks um you know greenness at at second line center we will see nachushkin as the second line winger because he brings that defensive presence in a way that lekanen can but doesn't as consistently um, so I'm excited to see what that second line looks like with Nachushkin, Newhook, and Rodriguez for for the time being until Landeskog's back. Right. Uh, I think I think uh, Rodriguez really is like Jackie was saying a key cog in all of this because if he can be a play driver um, uh, on that second line, then Newhook can be a trigger man and Nachushkin can be a, the guy who gets the pucks out of the corners and you got a great line that looks exactly like the top line. Just, you know, obviously everybody's a little bit. Not yeah. And I think, yeah, you're totally onto something with new hook in my mind, just in terms of the fact that he's really, really good from that bumper position that Kadri was also really good from, especially on the power oh, play. Yeah. And I think that new hook in particular will benefit from getting more power play time this season than he ever really has as a pro. And I think mm-hmm. how that goes will really, really affect his confidence five on five. Uh, because I do think with New Hook, it has a lot more to do with confidence than it does ability. And Jackie, you've seen him play a lot in the A. And I imagine that confidence came at a certain point, if not pretty early on for Newhook in the AHL. Can you speak to the fact that he is maybe one of those guys who relies heavily on confidence? I think that's true and and probably true for a lot of offensive players. Um, And I do remember that when he first went down to the AHL for the 10 games last year and he was... I think the first couple games he needed to settle in, but after that, uh, he, he really was able to bring the offense. And, um, I agree with that. He is so good on the power play. Like he was just automatic there. And, and that really does, I think, help drive his game. I think that's a good point. Like, like any score, they want to see the puck go in the net. So once that, even if that happens on the power play, it can translate to five on five. So I think he's going to start on the second unit, which is okay. But I would like to see him get some time on the top power play unit at some point in the year because I think he is such a good player in that role. And I also have to shout out, I love that the Avs are trying a three defenseman second unit on the power play. I think that's awesome. (laughs) When you have the most offensively talented blue line, arguably in the history of the game, why the hell not? Exactly. I, I love leveraging their competitive advantage yeah. and, and to bring creativity because I always thought they could be a little bit more creative on the power play. Like, don't use McCarr just up top. Like, he's such a good shooter. He should move around more and, and all mm-hmm. those things. So I, I think there is potential for both power play units and, and hopefully new hook factors in on those. Yeah. And 
you know what's funny too about Newhook is I don't see him as being a player like Burakovsky that will like score in bunches and then not for 20 games. I see Newhook as the kind of guy who, if you can get him 10 goals in the first, say, 30 games, he could very well post 25 to 30 when the season's done. So I really do think the beginning of the season is a really cool window of opportunity for Alex Newhook. And it could be the Newhook coming out party, even though he's already a Stanley Cup champion at such a young age. (laughs) Um, And just to expand on that, Evan, do you think that the Avs are going to have a challenge moving on from last year? I know, honestly, as a fan, I am having a hard time recalibrating and kind of getting serious, I guess, about the result of regular season hockey again. Do you think there's going to be a hangover for the Avalanche, or do you think they're just going to get right down to business? Um, I think, I, I, I mean, I think it'll be a little bit slower start compared to I mean, last year also, too, was not the greatest of starts in the world. Um, I mean, Dave even said it himself that Stanley Cup, you know, banner nights, you know, the people forget there's a hockey game, too, that's going to happen that right. night, too. So, <laughs> you know, if it if it doesn't work out in the end, it doesn't work out in the end. But, I mean, obviously, the, I, the long-term goal is, you know, already looking to April, you know, right? right? Trying to look for the playoffs and, and you know, work, I mean, the ads are already betting favorites again for the Stanley Cup. So, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing to hamper on, but you still need to, it's not going to be an easy ride. Right. It's never going to be an easy ride. Well, so it's, it's kind of one of those things just to liken it to like a 10 year old kid playing a video game. You play the whole regular season, you win the first Stanley cup you've won on the game. And the next thing you want to do is just simulate through the regular season and get right back mm-hmm. to the playoffs. And <laughs> Ezra, do you think that that, the leadership on this team will factor heavily in how that exact thing is handled. What can you say about the leadership and how do you anticipate the leadership within the room handling this potential hangover? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think uh, we already heard from McKinnon a quote about moving on from this, from the finals uh, and being ready to start the next season and get back into playing regular season hockey. Right. I think it was like, maybe a month ago when he was interviewed and talked about how he's already like forgotten that he won or something. Right. I don't remember the exact <laughs> quote, but, um, I, but I love that attitude from him. I think he's a guy who every single night, if he doesn't win, he's pissed. Right. Um, which is maybe, you know, difficult to work with, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think it's a great attitude for a star player like that. Right. And, and then you have a guy like Landeskog who's such a fantastic leader and such a fantastic motivator that I think the whole team will rally behind those two guys. Now, that being said, not having Landeskog in the lineup, not having Kadri and Burakovsky to rely on to step up in his absence, it's going to be a slower start. Yeah. Uh, but it's not going to be because of attitude. It's just the team on paper is not as good as it was, and they have to find a way to to gel and become this year's team at the best that they can be. And I do think that's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, you know, it's gonna it always it's always hard to turn the page on something historic and legendary. And I think having witnessed every single season that was probably the greatest single season of hockey in Avalanche history. And as you saw the unveiling of the hockey capital USA monument in Denver today, that was probably the most legendary year of hockey in the state of Colorado period. So turning the page, like I said, is going to be difficult, but here we are. We're super excited to be a part of that turning of the page. 
Uh, I just want to thank you, Jackie, Evan, and Ezra, for joining me today for the very first episode of the Mile High Hockey Lab. I think I think we did a good job. I, I had a lot of fun with you guys, and I'm really excited to um, get things cracking and do this on a weekly basis every Friday at 3.30 Mountain Time. Um, thanks again. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks, thanks for, to, for tuning in, everybody. Heck yeah. Exactly. Whoever's watching, thanks for watching. Yes, absolutely. So we'll see you folks next <laughs> Friday, same time, same friendly faces, and the same content and topic because over here at Mile High Hockey, we are all avalanche all of the freaking time. So get used to us and stick around. Uh, just one more thing. If you would go follow us on Twitter, that's at MHH underscore lab. And you can also follow Mile High Hockey at at Mile High Hockey. And the website, of course, is on the top of your screen, milehighhockey.com. My name is Adrian Hernandez. I am your host. Until next time, Avalanche fans, we love you. Thank you. <laughs>